0: On Power Talk AM 1460 and FM 101.1, streaming worldwide on iHeartRadio. Jan Price talks to the movers and shakers in the film business. The Jan Price Show. You're listening to The Jan Price Show, and my guest today is award winning editor Patrick J. Don Vito, and we're going to talk about his Golden Globe winning film, The Green Book. Welcome to the show, Patrick.
1: Thanks, Jan, so much.
0: It's nice to have you here. And you were just nominated for an Ace Editing Award. How did that feel?
1: I know. That's very exciting. I was so uh, excited to be nominated by other editors. That's really what means the most to me is that other editors saw the work and thought it was worth worthy.
0: What what a great honor, an incredible great honor when your peers uh, honor the work that you are doing and uh, recognize it. So that's absolutely wonderful. So let's I love The Green Book. It was one of my favorite movies of the year. I just uh, had an interview with um, Dave Carger, who is a T.C. Turner Classic Movies host, but award-winning entertainment journalist. And we're just talking about Oscars, who's going to be nominated, who's going to win and all of that. We do this kind of our annual show and we talked about the Green Book and, uh, and I gave all my reasons why I love this movie uh, because I said, you know, it's the kind of movie it had everything in it. It was the opening film for the Napa Film Festival and I saw it there and it had everything. It had humor, it, it, had, a, it had a message, it's a great mm-hmm. buddy picture but, you know, warmth and heart and all of those things so, that are so uh, it, you want when you go to see a movie and as I said, when you walk out of a movie, you want to feel good. And uh, this movie makes you feel good. So, what were some of the challenges you had editing this movie?
1: Well, I think the the, cha- the biggest challenge was probably the the balance of the comedy and the drama. Just getting that right, because um, there were a lot of options as far as uh, jokes and and bits that were in the body of the movie, and so it really was about finding the right ones that didn't seem like they were jokes that were came out of the the reality of the scene um and just the balance going back and forth between them that's really the toughest part and the tonally making that tone match all the way across because i've worked on movies where i've had to come in and fix and it it seemed like the tone shifts in the middle of the movie and then it shifts back and to be able to do that it's very very difficult it's it's better if you can keep the tone kind of the same all the way through
0: and so in this movie, keeping the tone, what what exactly did you have to do in the editing room to make sure that the tone stayed consistent?
1: It was a lot of uh, basically looking at the jokes and deciding uh, if, if it was the right time for a joke or maybe we should hold off and and let things sink in. For instance, um, uh, there's a scene where he's outside Tony Lip playing craps and he, then he gets uh, kind of Chastised by Doctor Shirley, and he tells him at the end of that scene, uh, "You were you had to be you could you could uh, they have to be outside, you didn't." uh, And then they leave, and there was kind of a serious ending. We went right from that to a scene that uh, has a joke. Really, it's it's him writing the letter saying, "Dear Dolores, how are you? I am fine." So those butted together. It was almost too early for a joke. So what I did is I put a a shot of the um, of them driving and we've created a map for that as well and they drive to the hotel and then you have that scene it gives you a moment to sit and go over your feelings about what just happened and then when that when that letter writing hits you laugh harder because you've had a minute to, to let that all set in
0: mhm Yes, yeah, that's interesting. So, is this how do you? I mean, as an editor, how do you? Is it just instinctive uh, when you're trying to do this, or are you are you working very closely with the director Peter Farrelly on on that and what the beats are? And because they say, you know, a movie can succeed or fail based on the editing. I mean, it's like you you've got the power of making this movie um, be great or not in the editing room. Do you feel that way? Do you feel like you have that much power when you're
1: in there uh, it's initially when i'm putting it together it's uh at least with pete with uh, different directors it's always different uh with pete i he lets me have three rings so i get to do it however i want to do it and he'll be shooting and on the weekends he'll come in and give me notes and i'll do the notes and i'll kind of shape it the way he's thinking about it. but then i always do alternates when i'm cutting so i always have alternate versions Sitting there, things that I think, oh, that might work, that might work, and I kind of have them chambered, but I don't necessarily bring them up right away. Um, I don't want to uh, overwhelm the director while they're shooting, so I just kind of hold them off, and then uh, it's, it's a back and forth. I think initially I have a lot more input, and then when we're done shooting and we're in the cutting room, Pete's in there every day, and we're we're working through the movie and we're and we're um, collaborating on it. So basically, he has. I try to I, I try to accomplish what he's trying to accomplish, but sometimes it's in a way that maybe he wasn't thinking. Or maybe there's a version I can I can do that would make uh, sense that he never thought of, and so that's kind of it's kind of the back and forth of editing. So
0: while the movie is shooting, are you editing along with it, or do you wait until it's entirely shot and then go edit the film?
1: Yes, I start day one and start cutting scenes so that by the time they're done shooting, uh, I can have uh, after a few more days, I can have a complete version of the movie, and I can watch it through and make a few more notes before we sit down with the director and, and go over it. So there's a, a chance for me to uh, basically uh, get through it. And it's hard when you've been scene by scene out of order until you see the whole thing as a whole. Um, it, it really, it's, it's a different sort of thing. Um, the, the assembly cut generally is a crazy cut. I mean, it's like most directors hate it. I know Pete says, you know, says normally he throws up when he sees the assembly <laughs> of a movie, and the good thing is he didn't throw up when he saw my assembly. He actually said this is the best you know assembly I've seen. It just it it flows and it's eighty percent of the way there. So that was really great.
0: Wow,
1: um, that's great. So that was really uh, we had a great starting point. And then from there it was just honing the performances and the story and the and the le- the jokes basically, and how those worked in because they were writing along the way too. They were they were writing the, the writers were there on the set and they would add things um, on the, on the shoot day. Uh, and so there was it was constantly kind of evolving the script even as it as they were shooting.
0: And does that make your job more difficult?
1: Um, in some ways, yes, but in some ways no, because the more choices I have, the better off we're gonna be because i can if something isn't working i can change it you know if there's a joke if there's a joke that doesn't work and you've got an alternate two you can replace it or you know completely get rid of it delete it um there was plenty of those throughout the movie that that aren't there just little things little little bits but there's also stuff that the actors added that was great i mean maherchel added a, a line that was Uh, one of the best lines in the movie, I think. It really helped the end of the scene. Which was that? Uh, Do you remember? Which was, yeah, they were in the hotel um, and they were sitting talking about how he learned to play piano from his mother and uh, so they um, had this, uh, the whole sequence. At the end, he says, but, you know, what you do is is great, you know. Um, I I don't think you should be doing this classical stuff. What you do is is great. And he, he says, thank you, Tony, but no one can play Chopin, not like I can. That line was Mahershala, because ah. in the script, you just said, thank you. And that's okay. It's not a great ending for a scene. And especially since the character, all he wanted to do was play classical music. So he had to, um, he thought he had to have this line that would make it more important. And he was right. He was totally right.
0: And And so... Sometimes, uh, and maybe, you, I don't know if you can answer this or not, uh, when mm-hmm. an actor decides to add a line, do they? is it usually generally something that they discuss ahead of time with the director, or sometimes it just comes out in the scene without them even thinking about that they're going to add the line? Do you know in that case whether that was something... In that
1: case, yeah. He, in that case, it was added early. He, he did actually go to him ahead of time and say, you know, I think I, we need to ch- end, end the scene differently. Other times, there, there are scenes when the actors just in the flow of it and just they just feel like something's coming out and they just let it go because they're in character they're in the flow and we always know we can and they know if it doesn't work we can cut it out we can right. work around it so and most directors will say at least say here's a take to go ahead and try try something you want to try you know uh, and that's I know Pete will do that too so if you, you know we're getting we make sure to get the script and then at a certain point he'll tell the actors is there something you want to try here let's try it you know and then we have that option as well.
0: That you can do. That's great. Now, I I, I met the uh, screenwriter and producer, Nick Vallelonga. Is that how you say it? Mm-hmm. Vallelonga. Yes. At the Napa Film Festival. And I met Chris Bowers also. And, Chris is so great, yeah. Yeah, he's wonderful. And we had a nice discussion um, about, because obviously, uh, you, you, when you're watching the movie, you're going is Mashallah Ali, is he able to really play the piano that well? Because I mean, it's pretty amazing. And uh, so Chris let me in on the secret. Uh, I don't know if you want to talk a little bit about it, but uh, he did work with uh, Mashallah Ali, I guess he, he did. said, for months and months. Uh, so he could, and, and, and many of the scenes, it is, it is Mashallah playing, but when it got to the more difficult scenes, so talk about that because you had to do the editing on that.
1: Yeah, it's basically, he did, he wanted to be able to sit down and have the, the, uh, the stance, the seat, si- the, uh, the sitting of a piano player. Mm-hmm. So it would, it would look real and he wanted to have the hand motions, everything there. So that's really what he was studying. He wasn't necessarily studying, you know, teach me piano, how to play piano in three months. Um, so he learned all that and he was really uh, into it. And then when it came to the shooting, we'd shoot them both. So we'd shoot. Chris Bowers playing the piece, and we'd shoot Mahershala playing the piece, and then we'd combine them in the effects, basically. And uh, In fact, one of the scenes is really really funny. Uh, It's in in the middle in a montage. It's a side angle of him playing the piano, and you see the audience in the background. It's actually um, uh, Mahershala's arms are inside the jacket, and Chris has put his arms into the sleeves of the jacket, and he's playing blind behind him. What? (laughs) (laughs) It looks like Mahershala's arms, but it's Chris's arms coming in playing. And there's a really funny take. I wish I you know kept it. It was a really funny take where he he finishes, and at the end Mahershala throws his hands up in in celebration. So there's now there's four arms in the scene. It's really really funny.
0: It was pretty great. <laughs> you didn't save that. You didn't. You, you didn't. No. You, you didn't put. You should have kept hopefully, that on a bloopers. On a bloopers. Hopefully it'll reel. be
1: on the. Yeah, it'll be on the DVD. Hopefully. Yeah. We'll
0: a bloopers reel. That would be great. So how <laughs> difficult was that? Because you had to edit. You know, Chris's. Uh, Chris playing the piano. Um, how, how was how difficult was that doing that?
1: Uh, it was. Uh, you know, I started. What I would do is I basically cut Chris's stuff. So I would. Uh, um, Put all of the piano playing together with Chris playing it, and then I go back and find the Mahershala pieces, and then um, then I would talk to the visual effects company. We'd have meetings and we discuss how we're going to do this, um, and so that's how it comes kind of built. It was the base was always starting with Chris because Chris was the, the pro player, and that's it's his hands in almost everything. That's that's really the truth of it is. So so basically, it's it's getting Mahershala's you know face on head on his body is basically the trick
0: and is that d- difficult to do
1: yes <laughs> it is but thankfully I didn't have to actually do that work that's what the visual Effects company did but they did a really amazing job pixel magic
0: okay oh pixel magic there you go yes they Perfect. did their magic yeah they did they did they really did so what else have you worked with? you worked with Peter Farrelly before
1: yeah we worked on movie 43 um I had come on to do that uh with uh um, another director um it was basically uh, a bunch of shorts all put into one movie so i was hired by steve brill to to work on his short and then i stayed on and worked on everybody's shorts and then uh pete decided to reshoot an interstitial and i cut that and so we got to know each other a little bit and then a couple years later we did a pilot for a tv series called cuckoo that never got picked up and then there was this and this was like one of those things that just came i, I was sent the script, and I'm like, I, I called over, said, hey, do you have an editor yet? I know you normally use this one person, but are they available? If they aren't, can you throw my my name into the hat? And they did, and luckily I got the job.
0: That's great. That's great. I really
1: loved the script when I read it. So. Oh,
0: yeah. Well, I, I, love, I love the movie. So, you know, the script, obviously, it's not a movie without the script, and, uh, and it's just a, a great, great story, but... Uh, So, do you develop a a, a shorthand once you work with a director? Do you have, like... You've worked with a lot of great directors. You've worked with John Avnet, Jay Roach, Mm -hmm. Judd Apatow, Donald Petrie, and the list goes on. Um, When you work with them multiple times, do you develop a shorthand, and do you have a shorthand now with Peter uh, Farrelly?
1: Yeah, it's kind of one of those things where you just... uh, It's it's unspoken uh, words between us. So, like, if he says something, I know what he means. And sometimes... I know it before he says it. I'll go. I know. I know you're going to react to this. I'll. I'll do something and I'll. I'll show it. And I, in my mind, I'm thinking. You know what? I should have done it this way. I know he's going to react to this, and he does. So I. I kind of gotten to know his. Um, his style, which is this for this movie, is a totally different style of uh, you know of comedy. But I could see back when I was working on Cuckoo that. Um, the the chops he had for drama, and I even told my wife after work one day when I was working on that pilot, I said, you know, I'd really like to see Pete do a drama. I think he'd be amazing. And uh, and this came up and I was like, yeah, great.
0: Yeah, we're going to talk a little bit more about that. But if you are just tuning in and you are listening to the Jam Price Show all about movies and my guest today is award-winning editor Patrick J. Don Vito and we're talking about the Golden Globe winning film, The Green Book. And, uh, Peter Patrick was just nominated for an Ace Editing Award. So it's very, very exciting. And I'm sure when the Oscar nominations come out, by this show is going to air after that, I'm sure The Green Book will be nominated. And certainly, uh, Nick and Peter, Peter wrote the, also co wrote the script too. Is that correct on this film? That is correct, okay. yeah. With Nick. And I'm sure they both of them will be nominated for Best Screenwriting. So t- tell us a little bit about that. I mean, because everybody was a little surprised, um, uh, I think that Peter was, Peter Farrelly was attached to this movie, and mm-hmm. and certainly the way that this movie turned out is you know it's it's it, it's got humor in it and it's got drama in it. It's got everything in it. I mean, it makes you mm-hmm. cry. It makes you you know that's when you go to the movies, you want to feel something. I say this a lot, you know. You just want to mm-hmm. go and go. Yeah, that was okay. You know, when <laughs> you walk out of the yeah. theater or you fall asleep watching the movie. Um, <laughs> which can happen too. <laughs> so, um with this one, it was a little bit di- uh different with seeing that Peter Farrelly was involved. So, uh do you know a little bit how he got attached to yeah.
1: this? It's actually a really interesting story. He uh the other writer, uh, Brian Hayes Curry, was a friend of his and he had been in a bunch of his movies uh, in small little roles and so he ran into him and said hey what are you up to and he said oh you know i'm writing this i'm gonna start writing the script Uh, and he told him the story and pete goes that's a home run uh let me know when you're done writing it and so a few months later he called him and said so you're done with that script yet i want to read it because what script i said the one about the piano player and the bouncer and he goes we haven't even started yet and he says call nick and i'll i want to write it with you we'll start monday wow and so he called Nick, and Nick had to meet him and, you know, make sure that Pete was the right guy because he wanted his dad's story. So he met with him, and they liked each other, and then they started writing scripts.
0: Wow. I, I also like after the. Um after, after the film premiered, they had the you know, Q&A afterwards, and uh, Nick telling the story, but more importantly, that the uh, Don Shirley did not want him to write this story while he was still alive. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you know why? I mean, nobody followed up with the, the why after that.
1: I, I'm not quite sure. He never really said why. Now, you could assume from the movie there's one big reason, uh, which I don't know if I should get a spoiler alert away, but... Of something that happens uh, in the movie that maybe he didn't want people knowing about um, mm-hmm. because right. it might af- right. affect his career. Uh, maybe it was about his family. I don't know because I, from what I've heard is his heirs were not the family. His heirs were his friends. So when he died, everything went to his friends. Oh. Uh, so so I don't know if there was stuff about the family he didn't want uh, out there. I don't really know, but um, but there there could be any number of reasons, but. Uh, um, I don't know I guess we'll never know really yeah
0: I guess we won't know for sure yeah but well Nick Bobby knows uh, maybe why they he did, but maybe he doesn't even want to say too. What what is yeah. your what is your editing style, Patrick? When you're working on a film, um, do you keep the storyboard up? Do you have like lots of cards all over the place to keep it all in, together? Do you work with the sound designer? So, how does, what's your style of editing?
1: It it really depends on the movie I'm working on. It kind of shifts a little bit with that. But I always have cards up so I can see the scenes based on. Uh, what reel they're in and, and their position and I can you know, physically look at them and go like oh I can move this scene over there I could switch these around um, this movie there was not a, a ton of movement around for scenes because it's so linear so it's hard to, it's hard to reorder stuff but, uh, but I'll work differently um, I like playing music while I work too so this was really easy because this is set in the 60s so you want to just play 60s music and get you in the mood of like what you're doing but also, the music supervisors gave me a lot of great music. I was going to ask so, you, did
0: they give you Don Shirley's recordings to listen to as you I were had,
1: doing this? I had Don Shirley's recordings. We didn't use them in the movie because, quality-wise, it would have sounded like an old recording. So we, mm. uh, Chris Bowers re-recorded everything and he played everything for the movie. And then um, all these songs – I mean, we, did, we had a very limited music budget. But they found a you know, 100 songs and gave them to me as options that they could get for cheap that were great Sixty songs. And so while I was cutting, I would decide and place the songs, and um, the style for that is I'd usually start them full volume, and then as you popped into the car, it would squish down to like a speaker as it were coming out the car speaker. And I'd say about 80% of the songs that I placed are exactly where I placed them in the movie, and they never changed. Oh, wow. Um, so, I, I had a lot of influence with music, but it was it was those guys that gave me this great music that you know uh, that made allowed me to do that I had, I had a lot of options and a lot of great stuff and uh, so it it was a joy to work on with music. I love doing that because I play piano myself and Music's really important to me. Mm,
0: yeah, yeah, I get I definitely, and particularly in this movie, you know, how much of the uh, sound editing uh, did you get involved with, or don't you? Do you work with it? You know, you work with the sound editor, yeah. uh, you, or did you? Obviously, you're working together, but how how is yeah. that collaboration?
1: Yeah, we usually have uh, like Andrew De Cristofaro was her sound supervisor, so she he came over and his crew came over, and we just sat and watched the movie and kind of told him what. Things we kind of are looking for uh, sound wise. And then he made notes and tried things, and then we'd kind of say yay or nay to them. And then he'd try some things that maybe we weren't thinking about. Um, you know, we tried some, you know, when he's outside the car and he's looking at uh, the sharecroppers out in the fields, and it's kind of like all the sound kind of comes down a bit. It's really played music heavy, and it's, 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 it, there's still sound there, but it's just light. And so it feels like, you know, you're more in his head than than you would be if you were playing all the natural sounds that were happening around. Hmm. Um, so it's stuff like that that help emotionally connect you with certain scenes. And so they, w- we would work on that, and then we'd get to the mixing stage, and then we'd refine all that stuff in the mixing stage.
0: How long did it take you to edit this movie?
1: Uh, let's see. I started after Thanksgiving, um, and uh, it was... Uh, we came back in February from New Orleans, and by I'd say by a- April, I had um, a, the, uh, we weren't we were still in the direct about halfway through the director's cut. We started screening it, so we started during the director's cut screening it. Um, the, by the time we were done, it was the end of July, so it was about you know, seven eight months total. But uh, but we finished early, and we just started screening the movie because the, the more you can get it in front of people. The, the earlier, the better, because it gives you an idea, um, what's working and not, not even by comments, just by the feeling in the room. If you're sitting in a room and you are watching a movie, you can tell when people are uninterested. You mm-hmm. can feel it. Mm-hmm. And so it really helps you go, you know what? We should tighten up that scene. That's, they're getting, we're losing them right there. And so that really helps you get to this tighter version. And we're still two hours and 10 minutes with credits, so we're not a short movie, no. but, uh, but I think it doesn't feel like two hours and ten minutes when you're sitting no, watching
0: it. No, it does not. It does not. Some movies you're like well, looking at your watch. Okay, when is this mm-hmm. going to be over? But not this movie. Not at all. It didn't feel like that at all. When do you know, this is my last question, when do you know mm-hmm. that you finally have the perfect cut on this on the movie?
1: Well, that's tough. Wow. It's, it's, it's hard. You never really, it, it's always kind of evolving. You know, I know that if there wasn't an end date i think that people would recut movies into <laughs> infinity you know <laughs> if there w- luckily there's an end date usually and you got to finish by this time but this was really you know we got to it pretty early and we were like feeling really good about it and then we when i knew we were on the right track we went to uh we went to screen in long beach and uh you know, they do all the, the screenings with the, where they score the movie and everything. Um, and, and we scored a hundred. And wow. so I thought I think we're I think we're on the right track for this. <laughs> I think you were. I think you were so that when, when that happened it kind of like solidified all our thought. and then we continued we screened again and we tightened a little bit and then we locked. So it was pretty quick there right at the end. That's so the when the director's cut was done it was it was all pretty fast after
0: that. that. was great, great. Well Patrick, thank you so much for being on the show. It's fascinating. Thank you. I love talking pleasure. to you. Yes. <laughs> Thank you, Jan. You're welcome. Go to the Jam Price Show on Facebook to learn more about upcoming shows. And while you're there, like my page. To listen to the Price Movie Minute Movie Reviews, and to listen to archive shows that you may have missed, go to the Jamprice On Power Talk AM 1460 and FM 101.1, streaming worldwide on iHeartRadio. Jam Price talks to the movers and shakers in the film business. The Jan Price Show. The Ozio Theater in downtown Monterey is now open every day, showing independent and foreign films. The Ozio Theater has new concession offerings, including beer, wine, hard cider, and their homemade Lush Slush. You can now schedule private event screenings for community charity events, birthdays, anniversaries, or just a fun gathering of friends. For more information, visit the Ozio Theater online at oziotheater.com.